welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. How many of you guys made a beach trip this year, this summer, right? A lot of beach trips, you know, you couldn't kind of go anywhere else. A couple weeks ago, my family and I, we took a beach trip and we packed the kids up. You know, we grabbed the towels, we grabbed lunch, we grabbed some sand toys, and we, we went off to the beach, you know, let the kids have some fun. But if that was the extent of our preparation, if, if we stopped there, it would have been a rough beach trip, right? Because when you go to the beach, there is a force of danger that you need to be aware of. It's the sun, Right? Like, if you go to the beach and all you do is bring food and towels and play toys, the beach trip will be bad. So, you know, we, we were aware of that. Um, you know, my wife is of the paler skin color, a little bit more sensitive to the sun, so is my daughter. What do you guys think that we did to prepare for that? Like, what, what do you do to prepare for the sun? Sunscreen, right? What else could you do? Umbrellas, shade structures, right? So, so we're aware of the danger, and we bring things that will protect us from that danger. And there are a ton of things in life that are just like that, right? There, like we live, we learn about the dangers, we learn about things that are, are happening, we learn about ways to protect ourselves, and that knowledge of, of the strategy to protect ourselves allows us to go out and flourish in the world. And as we look at a new series today, this is really relevant because we're starting a three-week series in Ephesians and it's, we're, we're going to be in Ephesians 6 and we're looking at the armor of God. And just like sunscreen can protect us from the dangers around us, so does the armor of God. And, and as we dig into this, I think it's just really relevant. I'm like, oh man, Lord, this is, this is just like morsels of good food to just chew on and remember. And, and as I've been digging into this, and I hope that you guys are going to be encouraged as well, the application is just rich right now. So we're going to read verses 10 through 20. And we're in Ephesians 6, so if you guys want to open your Bibles or navigate to your Bibles, depending upon if you're electronic or old-fashioned. All right. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God 
praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are so good to us. And Lord, we are so valued by you. Lord, we are, we are sheep in your flock. And Lord, I just remember that sheep are not talked about in a bad way in the Bible. Sheep are loved and, and sheep are, are, are looked after and they're seen as innocent and, and clean and, and worthy. And Lord, we know that sheep also bite and, and they stray and, and they need a leader. And Lord, as, as we are your sheep, as we are the people for you, I just pray that you would lead us now. Lord, that you would be with us. Lord, that your spirit would be sanctifying us and changing our hearts as we dig into this passage. And Lord, we are reminded about the power that you have given us to stand firm in days that are evil, in days that are difficult, under trial and tribulation. So Lord, we just thank you and and we love you. And, And I ask right now, Lord, that you would just filter my words, filter my mind, Lord, that, that my brothers and sisters would be my brothers and sisters would be blessed and encouraged, and that they would see you. Lord, I ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so I believe that the Holy Spirit is with us today, and I believe that He has something to reveal to you. Okay? So as as we start this new series, there's going to be passages that you can put into application. So I don't want to approach this. We're, we're going to be in this for three weeks. And I don't want you to approach it as a sermon series. I want you to approach it as a workshop. Okay? Because I, you know, I was in education for a while. And there's ways that we learn. There's ways that we change habits. There's ways that we do things. And sitting and hearing is not a, necessarily a good way to build application. So... I want to invite you guys to do something with me. Um, I want you to take out your phones or pens and paper if you have them, and I want you to take notes. And not because I have something that you need to write down, right? I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to give you thoughts to, to speak to you as we go through this and say, this is an area that I want you to work on. This is an area I need you to be more armored up. This is an area that that I want you to build some new habits. And I don't want those thoughts, that interaction with the spirit, spirit to be lost. Does that make sense? Okay. So training begins with assessment, and we're going to be kind of like going through some assessment to start this off. And if you are, you know, online with us, you know, we want you to kind of engage as well with this. We're going to go through a couple of passages, and, and I'm going to ask you guys questions about the passages, and I want you to kind of think through it as we're reading and <clears throat> interact with it. Now, if, you know, all of this, you're kind of like, okay, you know, that's fine. Uh, you, you know, came in today, or you're tuning in online, 
and you're looking to simply be refreshed and you don't believe that the Holy Spirit will reveal anything to you worth remembering and writing down to put into practice, you know, by all means, relax, enjoy yourself, and just let the information wash over you. Um, And that brings me to the primary area of assessment that we're going to engage with today. What are the schemes of the devil? And go over as well as I thought it would. It's supposed to kind of be a joke, you know, like if you don't think this is going to be important, but I'm too intense. Okay, so (laughs) uh, to answer that question, we're going to dig into scripture. So get your Bibles out, get your phones out. Uh, Go to Genesis 3, 1 through 5. And we're going to look at this passage first. Um, After each passage, I want you to identify what is the scheme that Satan has going on in each of these passages. What is he trying to accomplish? What's his goal? And what is he doing? What strategy is he using in order to accomplish that scheme or that goal? Okay? So Genesis 3, 1 through 5. And you guys can read with me. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to be, uh, to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. All right. So Genesis three, one through five. What did you all write down? Twisting the word of God. Okay. And if you guys are online, I, I, like, I want you to put these in the comments. Like, I, I can't see them up here, but I, I think you guys should be, be sharing those with each other and, and just doing it for your own edification as well. Um, so, so put some of those in online, and, and you guys can discuss them while we're, we're discussing them here. So twisting the word of God. Okay. So this is definitely a methodology that he's using, right? What's the goal? What's he trying to do in this passage? To deceive people. Right? He's, he's specifically trying to deceive Eve. Anybody have anything else that they saw? He's, okay, so he's trying to incite rebellion, right? Adam and Eve kind of coming along with him, right? So, so he's trying to incite rebellion. So we can see from this passage that Satan is a deceiver and that he's an instigator of rebellion, right? He distorts the truth and uh, he even gives outright deception He causes us to distrust the character and the wisdom of God, right? So these are some of the schemes that we see in Genesis. Okay, so the next passage we're going to go to, you guys go over to James 4, 1 through 8. All right, and in James 4, verses 1 through 8, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do, not, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit 
that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This one's a little bit more complicated because it seems like it's really written to us, but, but it talks about resisting the devil in this. So my, my question to you guys again is, what is the devil trying to accomplish in this, this passage? What is his aim? What's his goal? You can look at it again. Enmity with God, okay. Division against God. Taking away your witness, okay. What's, what's in that very first statement? What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Pursuing your own desires, right? There's a, there's a, a, a through line of this, of conflict amongst us, right? The aim of Satan here is to cause division. This is the devil as a tempter of desire, right? He's tempting our desires, our passions. We see that resisting him, but the result of that passion, the result of that desire is that we have conflict with one another and that we choose us over others. Okay. And, and it's difficult to see, you know, some of the, the methodology there, but, but this temptation to our pride, is kind of the, the through line of all of it, right? Okay, next passage, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10. I know this is a little bit different, right? Like I, I know this isn't kind of your normal sermon, but I feel like I, I want you guys to internalize a lot of this, and, and we have to engage with the text to, to really do that. Okay, so 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10. And again, we're looking for what is, what is the goal that Satan has here? What is he trying to accomplish? What are his actions and, and what's his strategy? Starting in verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. All right. What is Satan trying to do? Devour us, right? He wants to destroy us. As I was thinking about that devouring, you know, like when we devour something, it kind of like becomes part of you too, right? So in this passage, we see Satan wants to destroy our hope. He wants to crush our spirit, right? We see like a roaring lion, like it, you know, he's separating the flock and going after the weak. So this methodology that he uses is relenting affliction, picking off the weak, and he's looking after the prideful. And, and this isn't in my notes, but just, a, uh, I think, an important thing for us to hear. If you guys have gone through this time, and you've bunkered down and said, I don't need any help, you're being prideful. 
Because if you can survive the last nine months on your own, you're a fool. And, and Satan's lying to you. Amen? I mean, that's just, it's not going to good places. So that was a little harsh. Like, I don't, you know, hopefully whoever hears it, hears it in, in love. But, you know, just don't, don't do this on your own. Don't be separated from the body of Christ. What's that? We're not an island. Yeah, amen. Amen. I'm not even a continent. <laughs> I, I, need, I need help. All right, next passage, uh, Luke 22. So there's two sections that we're going to look at in Luke 22. The first one is one, and one through six. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death. For they feared the people. And then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was one of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. All right, what's, what's Satan's goal here? What's he trying to accomplish? Betrayal of Christ specifically, right? What else, what else is going on here methodology-wise? What, what is Satan using to betray Christ? To try to thwart the plans of God. Using the chief priests, right? You have kind of the, the rulers and authorities that are, that are around them, right? There's this kind of interaction. But you also have possession. Like it's kind of the thing that we don't want to talk about. Like Judas was possessed. Like, like Satan entered Judas. And I think that when we talk about the schemes of the devil, we need to understand that people give over to the devil, that we do not live in a world that we can explain entirely. And this is one passage, when we look at the schemes of the devil, when we look at the schemes of Satan, that needs to be acknowledged, right? So the goal here is the destruction of Jesus, the thwarting of God's plans. We see that Satan enters someone, and there's this reality of possession, but, and, and the, the reality of this possession is, is unique, right? This is foretold, this is prophesied, this is a, a unique possession of Judas. But this is a, a, a kind of a representation of a complete surrendering to the devil and his schemes. Like there's no rebellion in Judas's mind. He is just in the spirit of the king of this world or the king of the world at that time anyways, right? So when, when we look at that passage, it's just something to take from it and to be aware of. Like, these are the schemes of the devil. Um, staying in that passage, going down to verse 31. Verse 31 says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Before I ask you a question, there's an interesting thing about this passage that I just wanted to share with you guys. It's not obvious in the English, but in the Greek, when Jesus says to Peter, Satan has demanded to have you. 
that you is plural. So Satan did not demand to have Peter. He demanded to have all of the apostles. But then the rest of it, he's talking to Peter when he says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers, right? And this is similar to the passage in Job, which we're not going to read because we have one more section to go through. And there's a lot of, a lot of sections here that we've gone through and I don't want to kind of overdo it, but it's very similar to the passage in Job when Satan goes up to Jesus and says, what about your servant Job? He says, well, he just loves you because of what you've given him, the blessing that you've put upon him. So this is a very similar passage. So what is the goal of Satan here? What is he trying to accomplish? The kids know. What does he desire to do to them? Sift them like wheat. Yeah. 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 There's a, there's, there's definitely the Lord is aware that Peter is going to deny him, but, but Satan is trying to sift them like wheat. And when you sift wheat, you're separating the good from the bad. So why does Satan want to do that? He wants to prove faith wrong. He wants to prove faith insufficient. He wants to expose and, and weaken people in that way. And there's some sort of allowance that God gives Satan to do that for, for us to be tested, to, to be sifted like wheat in that way through trial. And, and in this, you know, we, we look at this passage you know, in, in Peter's actions that follow. And then we also look at Job, we see a similar thing in that the way that Satan seems to sift in both those situations is taking away earthly comforts, right? I mean, Job lost everything and Peter is about to lose his confidence that Christ is right there with him. And when persecution hits Peter, he fails, right? So, so Satan is trying to sift like that. Okay. In Daniel tap, chapter 10, we're going to look at verses, uh, I think 12 through 14. I know we're all over today, guys. Hopefully this, I, my, my hope is, is that Satan is, is not going to give a, or we're not going to give him a foothold in areas and that the spirit is going to reveal those you know, if there are schemes that are going on, that one of these passages would just really sit with you and think, man, I need to protect there, right? We're doing an assessment of our life. In, in military terms, if you're going to defend a space, you need to find where the weaknesses are. And this is a military passage, which I, I like. I, I, like the, uh, I like to be reminded that we're in a battle, that we're in war. Uh, Daniel chapter 10 says, fear not. Daniel, for the, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me for I was left there with the king of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. So this is a passage in Daniel where he had a vision. And he's, he's by this river and he's the only one that sees this messenger. 
and he falls to his face and, and he worships. And, and this is a, it's a vision that God has given him. And the person talking there is the messenger that has come to give this message to Daniel. So, so from that, when we look at that, what is the goal of Satan in this particular passage? I know this is a lot of thinking for one Sunday, a lot of assessment. What's he trying to do? What was the goal? Message was trying to be delivered, right? To subvert him, right? To delay him. So Satan's goal was to delay and to thwart the messages and the messengers of God. So one of the schemes that he's doing is to try to distract, try to delay, try to, to keep the message from going out. Have we seen that in this time? Have we seen delay and distraction for the message of God going out to the world? Right? This is probably the hardest, the hardest passage for us to swallow when it comes to the armor of God. Because we are a people that want to understand things and explain things. But the reality in this passage is there is a methodology that Satan uses that is demonic and angelic battles over territories, over areas. And it doesn't make me feel uncomfortable, but I know it makes our society feel uncomfortable. If I went into anywhere, you know, a, a higher education, you know, university, if I went into a, you know, lawyer's office or a court, if I went into a grocery store and just started talking to people about the demonic presence that is battling over the territory of whatever country, whatever area, they'd be like, Ooh, that guy's a little bit crazy, Right? But yeah, I mean, this is like, we either believe it or we don't. That's it. All right. So this is in no way an exhaustive look at the schemes of the devil. It does expose some of the common ones that we see, right? And I want you guys to really wrestle with this. And are there any areas of my life? Do an assessment of your perimeter, right? Like there's, there's military terms. Like, you know, you come in and, and you do an assessment and you look for ways of escape. And, and there's just these things that training build into soldiers, Right. A couple of weeks ago, I was out with uh, Victor Marks and, you know, he was doing kind of a self-defense and a, you know, like session for, for people. It was outdoors and they were like doing different, uh, you know, workshops and stuff. And, and that was always one of the things. I mean, one of the guys that was there helping me film it, you know, there's a security team there. I mean, some of this is firearms training. So like, you know, there's, there's a need for security. But he asked me, he's like, is this really necessary? And I was like, well, I mean, like Victor has had like bounties and stuff because of the stuff he's done in Iraq, like on him. But I mean, it's not likely that some Islamic terrorist is going to go and try to kill Victor at a self-defense training in Southern California. But it's not like out of the realm of possibility either. But if we approach our life in that way, when the day of evil comes, we will not be prepared Amen? So we need to be prepared all the time, and, and we need to be aware of the schemes, aware of the dangers, and just doing assessments, doing checks. You know, where's my heart? Where's, you know, where, where am I, where's my thinking on this thing? Where's my community? You know, there may be areas that you feel like are being attacked right now 
But I think that the better question is where could the attack come, right? Um, Where do you think Satan could try and deceive you? What areas could deception be ripe for attack, right? What things are you holding on to? Um, What things would get you to question God's goodness, his power, his wisdom? What desires could Satan use to create division and hostility with your brothers and sisters in Christ or with others around you? How could Satan attack your hope and security, right? Your, Your sense of safety and stability. What are areas of your life that he might try to devour and destroy through trial and persecution that would cause that sense of security and safety to disappear. And when it comes to blindness of unbelievers, right? There's a passage in in second Corinthians four, four that, that talks about that Satan, that the, the good news is veiled to unbelievers that they, they're unable to see it. And that the, the ruler of this world is the one that's veiling their eyes and, and keeping them from seeing that. When it comes to that blindness, when it comes to the spiritual warfare in the heavenly realms, right? That, that this passage that we're looking at in Ephesians talks about, right? The, the cosmic powers, the spiritual forces in heavenly places. Are you involved? Is that what you think's going on? Because I know my temptation is to think that we are in a political battle or that we are in a medical crisis or that we have differences of opinion. But really what's going on is that there's a battle that is very real that we're going to war unarmored. So let's look at these three pieces. Um, We are in a battle. This passage says it. If you don't believe me, you can talk to God. But this isn't just like a self-discipline exercise. And and I want to be really specific about that because one of the things that I've looked at with scripture or with this passage specifically is we can take the armor of God and feel like those are the fruit of the spirit, right? The fruit of the spirit are things that are developed in us, but the armor of God is something we put on. Um, We think of armor in our society kind of like medieval European Um, But the Ephesians would have been more likely to see this as Roman armor. That would have been the armor of the day. So we're going to look at the first three pieces. And I know you guys are thinking like, oh my goodness, we have three pieces to look at. But we're we're just going to introduce them. It's not going to be a long time. So when we look at the first piece, we're looking at the belt of truth. The belt keeps everything in place. On a Roman soldier, this actually had like pockets for things to kind of be put into. So like they keep their money in there or they could keep, you know, important trinkets from home or things like that. But the belt keeps everything in place. It keeps the the tunic in place, the armor in place. Uh, It can, you know, even carry weapons and and different things like that. It has fasteners. So in, in truth, when we're talking about truth, this truth has to keep everything in place. For the believer, when we put on the armor of God, truth is of the utmost importance. And there was a, a, a study done uh, in 2000 uh, by some psychologists. And what they did was they went to a supermarket and they took jam and they put jam in front of people. And if they put 24 different types of jam and they asked somebody to meet one, they had tons of people come up and test the jam and try the jam, but nobody bought jam. But when they limited that to 10 types of jam, fewer people would come up and test, but they had a much higher rate of decision-making, right? And they call this choice paralysis, 
And Satan's been aware of this much earlier than the purveyors of that study were. And he, in, in our day and age, has used our systems to flood us with choices, right? And, and many of us have experienced choice paralysis when it comes to truth. And we think we can't choose any truth. And we just start giving up on it. And here's the danger, guys, is if we look at the belts of truth as something that tells us that we need to know everything that's true, we kind of miss the point. Because the belt of truth is talking about the truth. And the truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? I mean, when, if we look for the truth in a society around us that the dominant voices in our culture are justifying violence against the innocent, they're murdering the unborn, there's rampant sexual immorality that's not just accepted but encouraged, Pride, greed, and self-indulgence are celebrated in art and entertainment and our habits of consumption, even in the church. Right? We all deal with this. Like if we're looking for truth from our culture and the voices in our culture, we're totally going to miss it. But Paul tells us that we're to be a people that are committed to the truth, and he gives us the truth of the gospel, that God exists in perfection, that we exist in sin and rebellion, but that he loved us and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for sinners so that we could be forgiven of our sins, that Jesus rose on the third day, and he is the first fruits of resurrection for all who would call him Lord and Savior. It's good news, right? That's the truth that the belt keeps everything else in place. And the truth is the beginning of a defense against the enemy. And it's the core truth that relates to the breastplate, keeps that breastplate in in place. The breastplate for the Roman uh, soldier usually was like a tiled breastplate or a chain mail. It breastplate protects the vital parts of the body, right? You get arm cut off. You don't die right away. You get stabbed in the chest. You're dead in a few minutes. And this brings us to an important part of this, the breastplate of righteousness is not your righteousness. You're not putting on your breastplate. When we put on the armor of God, think about like you're a new gladiator and you're going into the ring and the champion says, here, you can wear my armor. Put this on. It's been tested. It's true. Like this is the armor that God wore, that Jesus wore when he became a man to protect himself from the schemes of the devil. Amen? So we're putting on the righteousness of Christ. We're putting on the breastplate of righteousness given to us by the redemption of Jesus Christ. And this is not to say that we're to disregard righteousness in our own lives. You know, James talks about, like, our faith will produce works. But in the battle of cosmic powers, if you're wearing your breastplate of righteousness, that thing is rusted, that thing is easily pierced, and you're going to get hurt, right? All right. And you've got to put that right breastplate on in order to be ready to go to battle. And the shoes of readiness are the final piece we're going to talk about. The Roman shoes had these sandals. They were like contoured, uh, like fit to your feet. They had um, little metal bits that were in the bottom of them, kind of like a modern-day sports cleat, so that they could track. The most lethal thing about the Roman legion was their mobility. And their shoes were a huge part of that. So when, when Paul talks about to have these shoes of readiness that are you know, ready to go, that, that mobility 
of the Roman legion and also the dedication of the Roman legion are, are things that the, the Ephesian church and the other churches that are reading this letter would have thought about. This readiness, though, that Paul talks about is given by the gospel of peace. So as I, as I was thinking about this and, you know, looking at everything, I thought about a lot of things that we're called to be ready for, right? Like there's a lot of commands, like readiness to love one another, uh, readiness to repent, uh, readiness to be generous and compassionate. But this is a militaristic passage. And if you think about a soldier, a soldier is ready to be deployed at any time. A soldier must be ready to act in a moment to defend against an attack. And a soldier must be ready to put their life at risk, even unto death. The shoes of readiness are shoes that prepare us to die. If there is anything that the gospel of peace gives us, it gives us the ability, the confidence to die well. Amen? I mean, that's the whole thing. If we're missing that, we're missing the gospel. The gospel is not about here and now. The gospel is about our eternity. So if, if we think through that, right, we think about the shoes are put on our feet. They're ones that are worn with ready anticipation to heed the commands of God in both life and even unto death, no matter the cost. We know this. I mean, Paul says it, right? In Philippians, he says, um, to live is Christ and to die is gain, Right? And we see this in the example of Jesus, right? In the, in, the, in the garden, Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. And nevertheless, not, wi- not my will, but yours be done. Like Jesus was ready even unto death. It wasn't the Father's will that that cup would be removed. And, and we're going to take communion today to close service off. And as we do that, I want us to remember the truth that the righteousness that we are able to claim through him was purchased by his readiness and his submission at the cross, right? Like, like hear that again, the truth, that belt of truth that we need to cling to is that the righteousness that we are able to claim, that we are able to put on, was purchased by the readiness of Christ at the cross. I want to read two passages as we we prepare to take the bread and to take the, the juice or the, well, we all have juice today. Some of you at home may have wine. In Luke 23, Starting in verse 44, it says, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, when Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly, this man was innocent. The bread is a representation of Christ's body, given to us so that we might be able to have righteousness. Let's take the bread together and remember that Jesus took on flesh and became a man, 
that he lived a life of perfect righteousness and he gave that life to pay for our transgressions. Let's take the bread together. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. The blood is the sign of the new covenant, the payment required and received. Let's partake of the cup with one another and take joy that the penalty of our sin has been paid in full. Let's take together. Heavenly Father, I pray for us. We need your spirit. We need to hear from you. Lord, our minds are fragile things. I pray that you would help us to engage and prioritize. Lord, that we would be reminded of, of your presence with us. And Lord, that as we go through our days, Lord, as we leave here, as we go into the week, Lord, that, that we would fasten that belt of truth and that we would seek to be people of truth. That we would be humble to hear others and that we would constantly be pointing back to the truth that we can have total assurance of that you are God, that we are sinners, that Jesus came. Lord, that his sacrifice was sufficient and that we have hope in you. Lord, I pray for the breastplate of righteousness, Lord, that none of us would be attacked by the, the temptations and the lies of Satan, Lord, to, to believe that our righteousness is our salvation. Lord, let us cast our armor aside and put on yours. And Lord, I pray for our feet. I pray that we'd be ready to hear your call. Lord, I pray that we would be consumed with your work. Lord, that we would take chances, that we would be a people that live free of the burden of death because we know where we're headed. And Lord, that we would be messengers of hope to a world that is filled with chaos and anxiety and unhappiness and fear. And Lord, that we would be a light in this time. And Lord, I pray for this church specifically. Lord, that we would not base our world on what we hear from outside, but that we would look at the people and the places around us and that we would minister to the people that you have set before us. Lord, that we would be a light on a hill and that we would be known by our love for one another. And no one else would define us but you. And Lord, that we would submit to you. Lord, we love you. We need you right now. 
Let us worship you in body and soul, mind and voice. Or let us lift our spirits to you in praise. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.